You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. I think all of you know this, but this week's theme is joy, and joy is so excited for us to finally talk about her. She is so excited about that. She may not, she may not be as, as excited when she hears my sermon. We'll, we'll find out. Oh, we are in the third week of Advent, and uh, our approach this year is to look at the history of Christmas. If you don't consider your history, if you don't pay attention to your history and understand it, you won't learn from it, right? So we started by looking at the origin of Christmas, and we found that within the first few hundred years, the church didn't even celebrate Christmas. And then uh, we looked at last week, Christmas through the Middle Ages, and, and some of the things that we celebrate, some of the ways we celebrate today, and how that played out in the Middle Ages, how that was birthed in the Middle Ages. I really love the fact that some of the songs Many of the songs that we sing today are they're quite ancient. Uh, one of them is 1,700 years old. And um, even Joy to the World is 300 years old this year. But today we're going to consider how Christmas was impacted by the Protestant Reformation. Now, when I was 13, our family moved to Salem, Oregon. And when I think about my experience in Oregon, I, I picture darkness and, and loneliness and, and gloom. My parents worked nonstop, which meant that my brother and I spent a lot of time by ourselves. I didn't connect well with people there. I was, we were there just a couple years. And besides that, the Salem weather and if you are from Salem and you don't like what I'm about to say, I, I apologize to you. But from my 13-year-old perspective, the Salem weather was just gloomy. Not a lot of snow, which, which is something I'm really familiar with. Uh, a lot of rain. It's very green. You really don't need a sprinkler system in, in Salem. God, God's got that covered. Um, but it was just dark and lonely and gloomy for me. And for my parents, my brother and I, during that season of life, Christmas was not about Christ. It was about family, but not about Christ. I have so many great memories of Christmases, especially in Washington. We had large gatherings, aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and food and presents and that was, those were some of my favorite memories, and those were foundational memories for me when it came to Christmas. And it was my extended family at that time that really helped me connect to Christ, but we weren't near them. And so Christmas had to become about something else. And for this 13-year-old boy named Rob, Christmas became about gifts. 
And it must have been not just me, but the rest of my family as well, because we opened presents early that year. Now, it wasn't unusual for us to open presents early. I remember going, when we lived in Washington, I would uh, ask my cousins, hey, what'd you get for Christmas? It was Christmas Eve. They didn't know. And they thought it was strange that I did. But in Oregon, without family, we opened presents a week early. So maybe it wasn't just Rob that Christmas was, we were, as a family, maybe trying to find what Christmas was going to be about. And that was the tradition that we started. And really it was a tradition that came of a place that was lacking joy. Well, throughout this Advent series, I've been asking you this question. What kind of traditions are you creating this Advent season? What kind of traditions are you creating for yourself? What kind of traditions are you creating for your family? What kind of traditions are you creating for whatever community that you find yourself in? Some of you have had long-standing community and, and, and it's been there for a long time. Some of us, right, some of us are building new community and so we, we're trying to figure out what kind of traditions we're going to create within those communities. And then what influences your traditions? Because I never really, really considered why we opened presents so early when I was 13. Until I looked at it this week. Well, I believe a promise made 2,000 years ago should be the great influence of the kinds of traditions that we will create at Advent. The Reformation was a movement within the Western Christianity in the 16th century Europe that posed a religious and political challenge to the Roman Catholic Church. It started with the publication of the 95 Theses by Martin Luther in 1517, and then Rome's response with the Edict of Worms by the Catholic Church of 1521. The edict condemned Luther and officially banned citizens of the Holy Roman Empire from defending or propagating his ideas. So the newly formed Protestant churches would have to decide when and how they would celebrate Christ throughout the year. The English word Christmas, or Christ's Mass, reveals the holiday's Catholic origin. Many Catholic practices and traditions were either rejected or abandoned. And I think, when I think about this, I think about like my family, moving to Oregon. Now, the people that have been our influence, they were not our influence. And they weren't there to continue to have the same level of influence. And so we as a family had to figure out what we were going to do about Christmas. For our family, now that my parents have passed and we've moved so far away from Christie's parents, the same, we have to decide how we're going to celebrate Christ as a family. 
while the Protestant churches were going through that same kind of process. In John Calvin's Geneva and Ulrich's, Ulrich Zwingli's Zurich, only Sundays were observed of, of days of worship. The other feast days and saints' days ordained by Rome were abolished. Calvin's disciple John Knox, who founded the Presbyterian movement in Scotland, followed the same path. On Christmas Day in 1551, Calvin knows that more than uh, more people than his usual congregation were, were sitting there, and so he warned them not to elevate Christmas above other days of worship. Christmas was celebrated in the colonies where Anglicanism was the established church. Conversely, the pilgrims of the Plymouth colony banned any outdoor celebrations of Christmas in early 1620s Massachusetts. Violators could be heavily fined. While Calvin and Zwingli insisted that Christians should worship God only in ways mentioned in the Bible, and the Bible doesn't mention anything about celebration of Christmas, Martin Luther held to a more expansive view that Christians are permitted to worship God in any way that the Bible doesn't expressly forbid. Luther loved Christmas, advocating for feasts, gift-giving, and special church services. He wrote Christmas carols and delivered dozens of Christmas-related sermons. Messiah, written in just 24 days by the devoutly Lutheran-German composer George Frederick Handel, can be viewed as an expression of Luther's musical legacy. As a non-denominational church, we are a few steps further removed from our ancient roots found in the Roman church. If you compare the Roman Catholic church to the Lutheran church to Mission Ridge Church, you would see the gaps in the way we worship and celebrate even bigger than what you see between the Lutheran church and us and the Luther. Lutheran church and, and the Roman church, Roman Catholic church, and, the, and then us. At Mission Ridge, our music style is closer to that of, of culture. Our dress is closer to that of culture, especially as the clergy. Our language is closer to that of culture. And we do this with purpose. We choose to be relevant within culture Yet we also choose to remember and appreciate how our Lord has been celebrated for centuries. So this is the tension that we choose to live in as a small church. And this is why we celebrate the ancient tradition of Advent. If you are experiencing Advent for the first time, know that Advent has a certain liturgy to it. Each week there will be a theme. This week's theme is joy, wherever she went. We lost our joy. <laughs> each week, there'll be four passages that we will read. And each week, there's a candle that we will light, reminding us that Christ came as light. As we get closer to Christmas Eve, more, land, more candles are lit, culminating in our candlelight eves, 
Christmas Eve service that we'll hold at our new worship site. I hope you'll join us. As we look at this week's Advent scriptures, the question I invite you to wrestle with is this. What are you doing to create traditions that will draw people to joy? So our verse, our first joy passage is found in Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. We see here that Isaiah uses a picture of the joy found remembering the promise of spring in the desert as a reminder of God's faithfulness to keep his promises to his people. Isaiah goes on to say this, Then the eye, eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Sounds like the ministry of Jesus, doesn't it? For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. There's hope for me. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What, what a great promise of God's restoration that he will bring to his people. Through Christ, these are the promises that we hold on to. There will be a day of complete restoration. But like I mentioned last week, we don't have to wait until Christ returns to see this fulfillment start to take place. When we do our part to restore for someone what was lost for a family in need. When we restore relationships, when we create community that celebrates Christ, we become a source of gladness and joy. Our second passage, second joy passage, comes out of James chapter 5. James says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, 
until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Just as a farmer waits on the promises of spring, we, as Christ's followers, wait with anticipation for the return of Christ. James continues and says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Our joy is not found in the things that we see, but in the promise, the second advent of Christ. From the age of 13 to 30, I try to make Christmas about the stuff I gained. When Christmas was full of good stuff, I was joyful. When Christmas was full of challenges, I was disappointed. My joy was dependent on how full my cup was. And believe me, I looked long and hard at my cup to figure out how full it was. But when I make the promises of Jesus my focus and live my life for his kingdom, I have joy. And maybe this is why we have this saying, it is better to give than to get. So much of living for Christ's kingdom is about giving, serving, loving. Let's not lose sight of that. Our third joy passage comes out of Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. It's about John the Baptist, and it says this, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. I hope these are the kinds of things that Mission Ridge Church becomes known for in Missoula. And Jesus said, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. As they went their way, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John the Baptist, the one who was to prepare the way for Christ's first advent, became disillusioned. He didn't understand what he was seeing in Christ. 
from prison, John the Baptist questioned whether Jesus was the one to come. He was wrestling with the promise, promises of God. Are we any different? When challenges come, can it be easy for us to question God too? I know it is for me. And sometimes it seems like challenges feel even bigger at Christmas. A loss of a job, first Christmas without a loved one, strife within family, all those things seem to be magnified at Christmas time. We read this story at Advent to remind ourselves that the questions that we wrestle with over God, they're not new. Questions about his timing, or questions about our effectiveness within the kingdom, or questions about Christ's return, or questions about the challenges that we face. God, are you, where are you? Jesus invited John the Baptist to look beyond his own expectations to see where God was at work. Jesus tells us that God is always at work. He tells John, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Now John's in, in prison. His circumstances are hard. Sometimes when our circumstances personally are hard, we could question the goodness of God. Our, our candles gave up the ghost. <laughs> Thank you for saving us from our fire. <laughs> that would have been bad. Oh. God is at work around us all the time. And if you are facing challenging circumstances this Christmas, I would invite you to look around you and see how God is at work. Let this be the source of your joy. Our fourth joy passage comes from Luke 1, 46 through 55. But we're going to need some context, so we're going to start in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to, from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, I want to ask you this question. What do you picture when, when God says, oh, favored one? Like, what do you picture? What instantly comes to mind? What does God's favor look like? Going on, it says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. <laughs> and I think I understand that. 
and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child we born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, do you find Mary's response shocking? We have read about Gideon's fleeces, right? And Jonah and his running. Mary's response is refreshing, even awe-inspiring. Mary is told that she is favored by God. Let's consider for a moment Mary's world and the position of favor that she holds. Let's take a look at this next slide. This is Mary's world. These are the people, the systems, and the power that are over Mary. Caesar, Herod, the Roman army were brutal. They ruled with an impetuous iron fist. Mary's neighbors were brutalized before her eyes. Israel was heavily taxed. Mary wasn't a Roman citizen. She was a foreigner in her own land. Even within her own community, Mary held no power. She answered to the priests, to a patriarchy that said, that said women were akin to property. In a culture that said women found their value through marriage and childbearing, as long as it's within the right confines, right? This does say uh, Mary, by the way, <laughs> down there at the very bottom. Consider this. In her lifetime, Mary would never know the favor of luxury. Mary would never know the favor of living in a palace. She would never know the favor of public esteem. Not during her lifetime. In fact, Mary would bury her son. She would bury her son before she would see his kingdom established. Mary's response to the angel is simple. One of faith. Mary seems to find her joy not in power, not in possession, but simply in the promise 
of the advent of Christ. So the story goes on. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Some of you ladies probably understand what that phrase means better than us guys. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, with the second of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken to her from the Lord. Wow, what a testimony. I love Mary's story because it reminds us that God works through the small. He works through the seemingly insignificant. He works in places where it seems like he is vacated. And then this is our fourth joy passage. Listen to the joy in Mary's heart. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich was sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Is Mary favored? Absolutely. But would the world look at our circumstances and think, she has got to be favored by God? Look how God is with her. And my guess is no. But Mary was favored. And we find favor with God through her faithfulness. In fact, I was brought to tears this week as I contemplated not just the sacrifice of Jesus, but the sacrifice of Mary. Here's a young Jewish girl betrothed and awaiting the future that she dreamed of, but it gets interrupted by God. She faithfully brought Christ into the world, regardless of what people thought of her, regardless of the whispers, regardless of the conversations that went on behind her back. And as only a mother can, she was there to experience every major event of Christ's life, the glory of his birth, the highs of seeing the crowds follow him, the lows 
seeing the religious leaders oppose him, the agony, the agony of his death and burial, the shock and glory of his resurrection and ascension. Mary fixed her joy on the promise. Her joy was not based upon how empty or full her cup was. Mary simply looked at what she had, a promise of deliverance, a promise of redemption, a promise of the advent of her Lord. What brings you joy this Christmas? I like your answer, young man. (laughs) When you look back on this Christmas some years later, what will be the defining qualities of how you chose to celebrate? Mary held on to a promise of the advent of her Savior, not knowing all that it would entail. Similarly, we hold on to the promise of his second advent. Implication is this. What are you doing to create traditions that will draw people to joy? We're going to celebrate communion together. We have an open table, which means that if you are here to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, you are welcome to join us. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and grab the elements and then return back to your seat and hold them, and we'll take them together. As you do that, I want you to just dwell on this thought. Lord, where's my joy found today, this week? I know a little bit of what my wife goes through when our kids suffer. When they hurt, when they're sorrowful, when they're frustrated. There's no one that feels it like my wife does in concert with them. And we talk a lot about the sacrifice of Jesus himself on the cross. And, and that is the epitome. That is did is unmatched. But I also think of the faithful men and women that made it possible for you and I to be here today to celebrate Christ. I'm grateful that their sacrifice was not in vain. I pray that our sacrifice, the way we choose to live, so that others connect to Christ, won't be in vain either. But the one who made the greatest sacrifice was our Lord and Savior. And the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Let's remember our Savior. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. He said, this is new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Savior. Jesus, what a great promise. What a great promise of your first advent. What a great promise the way you lived out your first advent, Lord, that we could know that you were the Son of God. When we see you, we see the Father. Lord, what a great promise of your second advent. When there'll be a day when you put everything back into order. You'll right every wrong. You'll wipe away every tear. Our bodies will be fully restored. And we'll be able to enjoy you for eternity. I long for that day. But until that day, I choose to live with joy today. We love you and we celebrate you as God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.